If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A listener note, this story contains adult language and some graphic descriptions of violence. Previously on Caruth. The phone rang and uh, they were like, your daughter is at the hospital She's been shot. It is miraculous that he survived because Sharika was in very bad shape when she came in. Finally, Ray comes in with another woman. This was very new at the time, cell phone triangulation. And we could put Ray's cell phone where she was shot. Her blood pressure was down. She was hypotensive. When that happens, the baby doesn't get oxygen and that causes brain damage. She was existing. She was not living. So I didn't have to think long on making that decision Uh, and I knew and I know she knew that her son was in good hands. Wildersville, Tennessee is due west of Charlotte on Interstate 40, some eight hours and 500 miles by car. To get there, you wind past vague locations like Bucksnort and Sugar Tree and drive past the cornfields and the Cracker Barrels. Halfway between Nashville and Memphis, it's the sort of place you might stop for a few hours of rest on a cross-country drive. Every so often, Civil War reenactors gather nearby to commemorate the Battle of Parker's Crossroads when Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest escaped capture by Union soldiers. Get off our land! But in 1999, this stretch of I-40 had another brush with history in an unassuming roadside motel that was, at the time, a Best Western. This is where, on December 15, 1999, Carolina Panther Ray Carruth was found in the fetal position in the trunk of a gray Toyota Camry, his pants around his knees. Ray Carruth? Who helped plan the goddamn escape? Was this not the ignorant? you ever seen? 
Back then, the original kings of comedy couldn't resist, and Steve Harvey had a Charlotte audience rolling with laughter. When you running from the law, you want to get a passport. Ray Ray took his ass to Nashville. Like they ain't gonna spot your black ass in Nashville. The man doing the spotting turned out to be FBI agent Mark Post. He was eating oatmeal that Wednesday morning when a famous fugitive practically showed up on his doorstep. I saw a segment on Good Morning America. Ray Carruth fled the state, and to myself, I said, I wonder where he's headed. From the Charlotte Observer in McClatchy Studios, this is Carruth. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Chapter 4, The Manhunt. To understand how Carruth arrived in Tennessee, we need to take a step back. In early December 1999, family and friends had been keeping vigil at Sharika Adams' bedside. Sergeant Tom Athey and his team of homicide detectives had been racing to find out who shot her. November the 15th, it was a Monday, and tell us what happened. I want you to be honest with us. Okay. Okay? Michael Kennedy, the driver in the car that carried out the drive-by shooting, had already told authorities his version of the story. He had also painted a picture of Van Brett Watkins, whom Kennedy knew only as William, the alias Watkins had used. Yeah, he said, I want my man to ride with you. He was talking about William. He said, ride with you. He said, when we leave the movies, he said, I'm going to call you, and I want y'all to follow me down this road right here. And he was like, William already know what to do. Then, in an interview with police, Carruth had gone through his recent phone records and conspicuously avoided one number in particular. He's naming them off right and left. And he gets down to the one that turns out to be Van Brett Watkins. And he, he just skips right over that, like as quick as his finger could move. Police traced it to the switchboard of the Villager Lodge, a budget motel out by Charlotte Douglas International Airport. That's where Athey's team sat, staking out the parking lot November 25th. Thanksgiving Day. We go out to the place where Watkins is staying because this thing goes through a switchboard. There's no way to determine who did you switch it to. But while we're out there, we do see a pretty good-sized guy walking through the parking lot who turns out to be Van Brett Watkins. After shooting Sharika, Watkins says he hid out in his hometown of New York for several days. But as doctors tried to save Sharika's life, the hitman told me from prison that Carruth had grown angry. This devil called me every day. She's still alive in the hospital. So he said, come back. I said, she'll be dead. And he called me every day. So finally I said, okay, I'm coming back. In what he'd later admit wasn't the smartest move of his criminal career, Watkins checked back into that same villager lodge where he had stayed before the shooting. So I went back to the village to a different under a different name. That night, he shared the room with his girlfriend and her infant son. In the middle of the night, Watkins had ordered a pizza. He had seen a police car and thought cops were patrolling the motel, but also that they didn't know he was in room 111. My girl went to sleep. The baby's already sleeping. And I just laid there, drinking uh, Hennessy and smoking weed, and eating pizza. The pizza may have given away Watkins' location. At the very least, it showed police that somebody in room 111 was wide awake at 2 a.m. Athey's team moved in. I just go knock on the door, and uh, you know Watkins comes to the door, 
he's, he's a pretty good sized guy. And I think that he's his girlfriend, wife, or somebody, and there was a little baby and they were a kid. Here's Athe again. I just tell him, I say, hey, hate to bother you, man. I said, something come up. We'd really like to talk to you. You mind coming down to the police station with us? He said, yeah, no problem. He just gets in the car and rides back down to the police station with us. Just like that, huh? You'd be surprised the number of people that'll do that. I don't remember him even questioning why we were even there. That was Watkins' last real moment as a free man, and he knew it immediately. God said, ain't no way to I brought you this far in life. I brought Ray Carruth this far in life. And I'm going to let you two clowns get away with it. You're going to jail. Down at the police station, the hitman wasn't as calm. He told police that his name was William Edward Watkins, his dead older brother, to try to hide his outstanding arrest warrants. And in the interview room, Watkins pushed back, literally, on Athey's aggressive questions. We tried to, uh, like we do on interviewing all these people, find something that's really going to bother him. And I think we think we're talking about, you know, the girl that's in the room with him, and that's his baby, you know, anything that's going to cause him, you know, hey, look, you know, we already got somebody that's saying this is what you did. You don't tell the truth, you know, you're never going to see these people again. I mean, we just use enough to keep going. Because at some point, he jumps up like he's going to kick everybody's ass. Watkins does? Yeah. Now, are you a big guy, too? I'm about 230. I'm a weight level, big guy. Yeah, yeah I said, dude, ain't kicking nobody's ass in here. Yeah. I'm afraid of you. Watkins refused to cooperate at first, but police still thought they had enough to arrest Carruth. So as Detective Price continued questioning the hitman, Athey drove to Carruth's house. He knocked on the front door at dawn. He comes to the door completely naked. He's got another girl in there. He didn't have a stitch of clothes on. He's got some wow. other girl in there. And we, I think at that point, we just tell him he's under arrest. With both Kennedy and Carruth in custody, Watkins came clean. He could sense this was going to get turned on him and him alone. So he gave it up, and it really blew my mind because I've been interviewed a lot of murder suspects, and it's rare to see one completely flip like that. This is Price. But once he started telling the story, since we had worked it for so long, we knew that it was true because his story fit everything that we knew. And it wasn't that we were giving him information and he was regurgitating it. He was actually telling us the story from the movie theater all the way down to the shooting and then what had happened after the shooting. Soon, Carruth, Watkins, Kennedy, and Kennedy's friend Stanley Abraham were all under arrest. Pat Summerall with John Madden. And John, let's talk about the troubled Carolina Panthers. First of News all, of Carruth's arrest barreled through the Panthers' locker room and beyond. Oh, man. We're in disbelief. Like, what? Why are they talking to Ray? You know? This is Mike Mentor, Carruth's former teammate on the Panthers. I think basically what people think is, oh, okay, nothing's going to happen out of this. No way. That can't be right. With the help of his family local bail bondsman, and $125,000 of his own cash, Carruth was able to post a $3 million bail on December 6th. He'd spent 11 nights in jail. Of the four men, Carruth was the only one who bonded out. That bond had several stipulations. Carruth could not leave Mecklenburg County, and he had to surrender to police if Sharika or Chancellor died. She was existing. She was not living. And so we made, really, I made the decision to take her off of life support. 
At 12.43 p.m. on December 14, 1999, Sharika passed away. Within hours, Carruth was gone. Carruth never had a shortage of women who wanted to be nearby. The entire time Sharika was pregnant with their son, he dated at least one or two other women. He also had numerous platonic female friends. One of those was Wendy Cole, who owned a Charlotte hair salon at the time. She was in her late 20s, and she knew Carruth's mother and his cousin, too. Cole sometimes fed Carruth's dog when he was out of town for away games. At the time, Cole was planning a trip to California. Carruth, who was from Sacramento, knew it. Soon after Sharika's death, he begged Cole to take him with her. Ultimately, she agreed. Uh, because he panicked. I mean, when, here's what happened. Uh, this is David Rudolph, who was Carruth's lead attorney during his murder trial. Carruth authorized him to speak with me for this project. Sharika Adams died, and he got a call from George Warren. And, you know, he was out on bond at the time. And George said, you know, you need to turn yourself in. And Ray said, what's going to happen when I turn myself in? Why, you know, will they continue the bond? And George said, no, they're not not going to continue the bond. Uh, You know, they're probably going to just lock you up. Uh, And Ray panicked pure and simple. And uh, I don't think he had a plan particularly. I don't know that he was going anywhere in particular. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's another example, I guess, of his flight reflex kicking in. Um, in the dozens of interviews I've done over the past year, that characterization of Carruth has come up a lot. Rudolph told me that Carruth now admits he was there when Sharika was shot. That had never been public knowledge before. Carruth maintains that Sharika's murder was a retaliatory hit by Watkins due to Carruth going back on his word to finance a major drug deal. Carruth declined invitations to speak with me on the record for this story, but through his attorney, Carruth said he fled that night too, leaving the mother of his unborn son to the mercy of a vengeful killer. My reaction to Ray fleeing to Tennessee with... Yet another girlfriend was just another very big display of his cowardice. This is Sandra Adams, Sharika's mother. Because he had been a coward through all of it. And I think that may be how he keeps his conscience clear. Because he didn't actually pull the trigger, he paid somebody to do it. So when it was come time to take the punishment, he ran out and didn't show up for that. So I just think it spells out in very capital letters his disposition. Around 10 p.m. on the night Sharika died, Carruth threw on baggy black jeans, a t-shirt, and a gray and black leather jacket, and climbed into the trunk of that Toyota Camry. It was messy back there because the two were leaving in a hurry. There were no suitcases, just clothes stuffed around the edges, along with a few energy bars and sports drinks and a small purse holding almost $4,000 in cash. She dies, and uh, we go back to try to lock him up, and of course he's, uh, he's gone. This is Athey again. You know, people say, well, why didn't you watch him? I said, well, we got 100,000 things going on in the city. We don't have resources to sit and watch one guy because of who he is. I mean, yeah, he, he's not going to vanish from the face of the earth. Yet he had, at least for the moment. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick 
and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cole drove west on I-40 through the night. Carruth occasionally talked to her on his cell phone. By 8.35 a.m. December 15th, Cole was exhausted. She checked into room 149 of the Best Western in Wildersville. She needed to rest and to think. Carruth stayed in the trunk. Cole cared about Carruth and his family, but there were limits. And aiding and abetting a fugitive wanted for murder crossed that line. Inside the hotel room, Cole called Carruth's mother, Theodri, to tell her where they were. Theodri Carruth was relieved to hear from Cole. She had been speaking with various news outlets that morning, telling them, quote, he's scared, and people have to know that. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. She wasn't the only one relieved to hear Carruth was okay. Detective Rice and I had gone over and talked with the bail bondsmen because they stood to lose a lot of money. I can't remember the exact amount of money, but it was a lot of money for a bail bondsman. This is Price again. So they were working every bit as hard as we were on trying to locate Ray. And so the bail bondsmen the ones actually contacted us and said they're at this hotel. They were able to give us the location, and at that point, you know, I think the FBI were on scene within a couple hours. 
which is amazing because if we ever call them for something, it's like they got to have ops plans and we're looking at eight hours. Is that right? Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> In fact, it was Theodry who tipped off the bail bondsman. She was worried her son could be killed by police if the manhunt stretched on. Caruth was now 500 miles away. Bondsman couldn't make that drive fast enough, and neither could Charlotte police. I know Detective Rice and I had tried to get the department to helicopter us up to that location. Uh, they instead elected to utilize the FBI in that region to go do the arrest. The FBI office in Charlotte was notified. Someone there called the Bureau's Jackson, Tennessee field office and Mark Post. I went into work, normal day, so to speak. And then uh, at the time, I was the supervisor with uh, five agents in the uh, office. So I was going in to do the paperwork and the normal things that a supervisor does every day. Other than catching the news that morning, Post had no idea who the football player even was. But that didn't matter now. Carruth had become a fugitive, which Post knew all about. And the FBI agent's routine day was about to get a lot less ordinary. Technically, Carruth was on an unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. Once he'd crossed state lines, the manhunt became a federal matter. I received a call from the FBI office, and they had developed information that he was in a motel in Wildersville, Tennessee, which is about 25 miles from our satellite office. They gave me a description of the car and that he was traveling with a lady named Wendy Cole, and I immediately got the agents together and told them what the situation was. One of the agents got a picture of Ray Carruth off the internet, and we were gonna go out to the hotel. And with that, they were off. Five FBI agents, dressed in civilian clothes, in three cars. No sirens and no warning. This was very low-key. We didn't want anybody to know that we were coming. So we got close to the, the exit, and you can see the motel, which is really the only motel of Best Western at the time. There in Tennessee, Post and I made that same drive together arriving at what's now an America's Best Value Inn and Suites. Here is our uh, path of travel going eastbound in a procession, three vehicles. New ownership aside, it's the exact same building. Off to your right as you drive east on I-40, clearly visible atop a little hill. You can actually catch a glimpse of room 149 as you take the exit ramp nearby, if you know where to look and what you're looking at. And you break from the trees, you get a clear view of the hotel rooms, and this is where we first spotted the Camry backed in to room 149. Room 149 is where the manhunt came to an end. I thought, that's them. They backed in, in case local law enforcement came in and saw the license. The adrenaline kicked in, I thought, my God, he is here. Going directly to the room seemed risky. From what he'd been told, Cole was a relatively innocent bystander. With no way to know if Carruth was armed, Post wanted to control the situation and remove Cole from harm's way. I went to the office with another agent to the Best Western. The other cars went up onto the back side overlooking the vehicle, keeping an eye on it. So we went into the hotel, spoke to the manager. There was a lady there at the desk. 
and we asked about the Camry, told them that we had a warrant for the rest of an individual we thought was staying with her. So I asked her to call the room and tell Miss Cole there's a mechanical issue and have her come and give her a key to change rooms. She made the call. Caruth's accomplice walked about 50 yards across the parking lot to pick up the new key, but in the office, she found the FBI. And we immediately identified ourselves and told her that we were looking for Ray Caruth. And I asked her if he was in the room, and she said no. I said, can we search the room? She said yes. So we searched the room, and there was no Ray Caruth. Cole didn't exactly deny that Caruth was there. She didn't try to send the FBI away, but she didn't really answer their questions either. I asked her if Ray Caruth was with her. She said, no. I said, where's he at? She said, well, I'm not sure, but he's around here. Different answers every time and very vague. She told me that she was on her way to uh, California for a cosmetic school. She was just very polite and very nice, but very young and naive and immature. I thought sooner or later she's going to tell me. Post thought Caruth might have walked someplace to buy food. He had no car and no obvious way to leave. So the FBI decided they'd just wait there in room 150, right next door. I told her that we were not leaving and that we're checking into the room next to her. She didn't say anything. After about 20 minutes, I went down and I sat down on the side of the bed and I said, you know where he is, don't you? And she looked at the keys and I didn't pick up on it the first time. I said, where is he, Wendy? And she looked at the keys again. He's in the trunk, isn't he? And she looked at me and she says, I don't want you to hurt him. I said, we're not gonna hurt him. I said, I won't tell him that you told me because I'm the one that figured it out. She said, okay. The Camry was parked right here, backed in to the edge of this walkway. And room 149 is where Wendy Cole had checked into. At the one-story motel, each room's door opens directly into the parking lot. So when the FBI left room 149, Caruth was physically no more than two steps away, curled up in the fetal position inside the trunk of her Camry. It was about 6.45 p.m. that December night when agents approached the car. It was dark, except for the hotel's lights, and cold enough to be uncomfortable. Caruth had been stuffed in the trunk for almost 21 hours straight. The first thing that came to my mind and I was most concerned about was, if he does have a weapon, he's going to commit suicide. Because of the circumstances of riding in a trunk, desperate to get out, he's going to be placed under arrest, and his whole career and life has taken a turn for the worst. I told her, this is what we're going to do. I want you to tell Ray that we know that he's in there and we're not going to hurt him. She did that, then stepped aside. One agent stood on either side of the Camry with guns drawn, ready to shoot Caruth if necessary. A third agent climbed down under the trunk, reaching up with the key to undo the lock. I said, Ray, I'm with the FBI and I have agents surrounded the car. I want you to cooperate with me and do what I say. I said, do you have any weapons? No. I said, 
As soon as we pop the trunk just enough, the first thing I want to see is those hands come out. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Post gave a cue to the agent on the ground. The agent popped it up just enough, and his hands came right out. I mean, I was surprised how fast, to a certain degree. He was laying on his side in a field position, so to speak. Because of all the baggage, there wasn't much room for him in there at all. So we helped him up, handcuffed him, and his pants were down to his knees. And we pulled his pants up, got him out of the trunk. We brought everything out that was in the trunk. There was two sport drink bottles, Gatorade type. One was full of urine, one was half full. There was a number of power bars and candy bar wrappers. Ray told us that he had $3,900 cash in there, which we found in a small ladies handbag type. We put one Nicole in a car and we drove her car told him that we were going to transport him to our office. Carruth had trouble standing, but as the athlete tried to get the blood flowing to his legs again, Post had another thought. What if Carruth runs? Carruth was already a metaphorical runner, often choosing flight over fight. But he was also a literal runner with speed that helped get him to the NFL. If Carruth ran, would middle-aged FBI agents chase a 25-year-old with a 4-3 40-yard dash? If adrenaline took over, would one of them shoot him? Could the Audrey Carruth have had a point? For a while, I thought, this guy's a tight end or a wide receiver. He could run. And so that was a little concern that I had prior to us getting him in the vehicle that he'd take off. Thankfully for everyone... After fleeing the scene of Sharika's shooting... He never stopped his car. He was scared, and he took off. Misleading police... He's going through these phone numbers, and he gets down to the one that turns out to be Van Brett Watkins, and he just skips right over that. Panicking again after Sharika's death... My reaction to Ray fleeing was just another big display of his cowardice. Then spending his last day as a free man in the darkness and the cold undressed and surrounded by bottles of his own urine in a space smaller than a prison cell. It's another example, I guess, of his flight reflex kicking in. Carruth was done running. He sure was very subdued and very meek and mild. No cockiness whatsoever. He was quiet. Yes, sir. No, sir. Agents drove Carruth to the FBI office in Jackson. There, they questioned him. They let him call his mother and tell her he was okay. When Carruth asked for a Bible, they tracked one down. When he said he was hungry, Post sent someone out for a chicken sandwich and fries. I mean, those agents were very focused and took the initiative. Rather than just accepting the fact that he's not in the car, he's not in the room, so I guess he's not here, let's go home. I think this is the first time I've ever found anybody in a trunk. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Caruth spent that night in jail in Tennessee after doing a perp walk in front of the media. It all ended here for Ray Caruth in the parking lot of a Best Western motel in Wildersville, Tennessee. Ray, did you do it? Soon he was extradited and U.S. Marshals drove him 500 miles back to Charlotte, where he became a national punchline. Y'all had to be back in Charlotte going, I know good and well this mother ain't in this trunk. That little mother is in the goddamn trunk. Here's comedian Steve Harvey again. Ain't no need to get mad at me, goddamn. I ain't shot nobody. The NFL suspended Carruth indefinitely. Carolina Panthers owner Jerry Richardson released a statement of his own, cutting all ties with the former number one draft pick. Carruth had still been on the Panthers' roster until he was found in Tennessee. Richardson's statement said, quote, Our decision was based on Ray's actions over the last 48 hours and is not a statement about the case. Initially, you don't want to believe it. Something that horrific and that calculated, you're just thinking, I can't, my teammate could not have done that, and I'm going to be loyal to him. This is Steve Berline, Carruth's primary quarterback on the Panthers. But as the facts started coming out and reality hit all of us, that this is not looking good for Ray. And I remember we were talking about a lot of what we could have done and what we, you know, were there any signs that, that any of this stuff was going through his mind? And he was so to himself that it was really hard to get a read on what he was thinking. Carruth's only public comment on the manhunt came back in 2001. He told CNNSI, quote, People who have had situations, being scared, 
and being in the position where you really feel like you don't have any hope would understand. Well, man, maybe he really did need to clear his head. Cole was charged with harboring a fugitive, but the charge was dropped six months later. Post still can't drive past Parker's Crossroads without glancing up at the motel. I travel I-40 frequently. Right there, I see that facing the interstate. It just clicks. I'll never forget seeing that Camry and saying, he's backed in, he's hiding the license plate. Let's go ahead and be seated for a second. Three days after Carruth was found in a trunk, Sharika was buried on a clear morning in South Charlotte. Waves of people filled the sanctuary of the Victory Christian Center Megachurch. I was asked to speak, but I knew that I, I, I didn't have the ability to. This is Valerie Brooks, one of Sharika's closest friends. There were over a thousand people at her funeral. It was huge. Sharika made a huge impact. We talked about how important it is for us to walk in love, isn't that right? Yes, even, even towards our enemies. In his eulogy, Pastor Robin Gould acknowledged how she died. We need a higher value of life, he said, if you can blow away a pregnant woman. By then, Sharika's killing had attracted such widespread attention, there was no way to avoid the elephant in the room, or the dozens of them. I remember resenting all the media I remember that. They were everywhere. This is Sonia Melton, another of Sharika's close friends. They were especially right at the entrance of the church, really heavily right there. So it was packed. It was emotional. A smaller service was held later that day at the nearby Sunset Memory Gardens. There, Sharika's silver casket was lowered into the ground. Mourners released 24 purple balloons, Each one carried a photograph of her. Sandra and Sharika's father, Jeff Mooney, released a joint statement to the media, saying, We cannot help but feel glad that in the midst of our unspeakable grief, God has given us Chancellor as a beacon of hope. We look forward to providing him with the love, affection, guidance, and nurturing that will help him grow into a man of which his mother will be proud. On December 31, 1999, 13 days after his mother's funeral, Chancellor Lee was released from the hospital into Sandra's care. Dosha Hickey, the doctor who had cared for him in the hospital, had her suspicions proven correct. Chancellor Lee was soon diagnosed with cerebral palsy, leaving him with significant mobility and speech issues. He also had major intellectual disabilities due to the irreversible brain damage he suffered the night of his birth. Well, what you want, you don't, we don't really have a weight, but he was over five pounds when he went home. Hickey was there to see him off and to make sure that happened away from the TV cameras. I still remember that day, and we snuck him out the back door because we didn't tell the media, and they didn't tell him until he was already home, and they said he's been released today. Oh, I see. How did you manage that? We went out for the emergency room. Less than two weeks after burying her daughter, Sandra, at 42 years old, had become the primary caretaker for her grandson. As she braced for life once more as a single guardian, a separate struggle was taking shape, led by someone else who'd been there at Sharika's funeral, veteran Charlotte attorney Gentry Caudill. I just wanted to get to know the person about whom the evidence in the case revolved. I felt drawn to do that. Carruth had become the first active NFL player ever to be charged with murder, 
and Caudill was the lead prosecutor for Carruth's upcoming trial. Caudill had already sent eight men to death row. He wanted Carruth to be number nine. I'm Scott Fowler, and this podcast is produced by Jeff Siner and Rachel Wise and Davin Coburn at McClatchy Studios. Find lots more about this case at charlotteobserver.com slash Carruth. And for just $30, subscribe now to a full year of The Observer's award-winning sports coverage at charlotteobserver.com slash sportspass. In Chapter 5, Carruth Goes on Trial. In my mind, there was no doubt that this was the man that pulled the trigger. Now the jury is just sort of saying, okay, do I believe Ray Carew? And the criminals turn on themselves. That's the bitch I was talking about, Ray Carew. The judge found the biggest deputy he could find to sit between him and Watkins. I'm 286 pounds. I would rip you like a rag doll. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.